Hey y'all, this is Hamza, and I'm super happy we get to hang out for a little bit. Hey guys, welcome to Hanging Out with Hamza. Um, this is Hamza, and today I have a special guest on. She's actually a patient turned friend, and uh, she has a very interesting field and background that I really wanted to dive further into. Um, so just to give you a little background about her, Hannah is um, a sex therapist, a licensed sex therapist, and she works with couples, groups. She does a lot of retreats and all these other, um, you know, guided ways to help people through that aspect of their life. And um, I think it's a fascinating field. I think it's something that we don't talk about a lot in our culture because it's seen as taboo, unfortunately, especially in America and a lot a lot of Western culture. So uh, I just wanted to kind of like have her on the show, talk more about it, educate us more about it, and just, you know, learn more about it in terms of her passion. So without further ado, here's uh, Hannah. I'll let her introduce herself and we'll go from there. Thank you, Hamza. It's so good to have this conversation with you. I'm really excited to chat with you and share about the thing that I love, which is sex. Um, introduction to me, I see myself as some combination of best friend, fairy godmother, and educator in this realm. Um, like, I don't think my clients really think of me as a therapist. And they, the, because of the way that I like to do my work, it's really a combination of coaching and therapy and a bunch of alternative modalities. Like yesterday, I was in here with a client and we were having a temper tantrum together. Like I was guiding her through a rage deep repression and we were like screaming. And then I was um, holding her, her body. So it's like, it's so much deeper and further than I think most like traditional therapies go. Like when people think of a therapist, they think of sitting in a room with someone talking and them asking you, how are you feeling? Or how do you feel about that? And this is, um, a lot different than, okay. than that. And, um, I guess just to start from the beginning, what got you into it and what kind of drew you to this profession? Uh, my own trauma okay. is the reason why I'm here. Okay. Um, when I was 13, I had my sexual debut and it was, um, non-consensual and I was in a relationship with someone who was a few years older than me and all three years of that relationship were abusive in every way that you can imagine. Um, I also had a really hard relationship with my dad. He has bipolar disorder, and that also kicked in around the same time as puberty. I was 12 years old when he was diagnosed with that. And I saw him go through just being totally subscribed to the medical culture of prescription drugs um, and seeing him once he got that diagnosis, there was no alternative other than being on medication for the rest of his life. And I was so afraid to be like him, but I had endured by the time I was 20, so much of variety of sexual abuse, variety of different kinds of abuse, and then had my own series of depressive episodes and anxiety. And when I was 20, I attempted suicide. And I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell 
a therapist. Um, I started going to therapy and then lied a lot about the severity of my mental health issues because I was so afraid to be put on medication and be hospitalized like my dad. Um, and so through that experience with that therapist, I sought out alternative ways to heal and support myself beyond, um, medication. I've never been on medication, um, for any of my mental health issues. And since I was 20, like the last decade of my life has just continued in this upward trajectory of more joy, more happiness, more peace, less mental health issues. Like I haven't had any type of depression or anxiety in any severe way in the last seven years. Yeah. Okay. And do you feel like your approach to therapy now, obviously you've probably been able to learn a lot of stuff from your past life and Mm -hmm. bring it into this profession. For sure. Um, Do you feel like you see a lot of yourself in your patients because of that? Absolutely. Or empathize with it? Yeah. A hundred percent. I think because of my story and my background, I attract clients that are mimic a lot of my story. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like as somebody that has experienced um, like emotional abuse and all that kind of stuff now it brings your empathy to such a dramatic level too Mm -hmm. so i can imagine you know being in your profession your empathy has to be like at the highest level especially to understand what your patients are going through Mm -hmm. um and i always wonder that with like therapists if like i think a majority of therapists i've met have gone into it because of their personal struggles Mm -hmm. so i always wonder for the minority that does it without going through that how they manage that because i feel like Mm -hmm. you have to have that empathy or that approach from personal experience because you understand it a lot more Mm -hmm. even as a dentist like I've had treatment and I've almost purposely try to like really hone down how it feels being in the dental chair Mm -hmm. getting the needle in me and everything so that I can understand the fear that patients have Mm -hmm. because then your empathy grows so much larger and you're able to understand why they're scared Mm -hmm. or what that pain is that they feel so that's really cool yeah um so I obviously I've followed your Instagram for a while now and I know you do a lot of guided um, you know, you do retreats, you do, um, like actual guides you can download and, you know, uh, follow through. Um, do you want to kind of educate us on how you differ from a regular therapist or how your approach is different from standard therapists? Yeah. So my, because of my background in my own journey, and then also my background in my education, I took a really non-traditional route. Yeah. Um, I have certifications in NLP, somatic breathwork, somatic therapy. Um, I have done a lot of psychedelics and I think that background of this whole holistic, all encompassing approach to a person, including their body, including their mind, um, gives me just a different edge than, than most therapists have because I have traveled to all these different dimensions on different psychedelics and like come back with an understanding of humanity and such an appreciation for our physical reality and the way that I approach work with my clients is a very bottom-up approach also I'm like yes I think that working through the past is really important but the approach that I take is also very present oriented Mm -hmm. like what is actually going on in your body and your physiology in this exact moment and how do we support that because trauma is experienced in the present right like it's something that happened in the past but the experience of trauma and ptsd is is a current 
yeah. happening. It's a, it's a now happening. Right. So it's my, my approach is like, how do we work with your body to support you in the now with whatever it is that you're dealing with? And it's le- also less symptom focused and more like root cause focused, okay. like what is actually happening. And you said you don't really like, you don't look into prescription model or anything like that with medication. Some of my clients have psychotherapists right. and they have, some of them are on medication, which I take into account when we're working together, but okay. my intention is for them to not have to rely on that. Okay. So do you kind of drive them away from it or do you still support them through that and then just hope that eventually you can wean them off it if necessary? The, the latter. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, um, I was also curious, I think a lot of people don't know how you get to be a licensed sex therapist. Is it the same as therapy going through like a accreditation program? Is it two years, four years? Mm-hmm. How exactly does that work for anybody interested in getting into it? Yeah, I'm not licensed. Okay. Yeah. I okay. wanted to correct okay. that at the well, beginning. That's my mistake. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I am certified by multiple different therapy programs. So how do you how do they differentiate certification versus licensing? Like how how long is it? So a licensing process is like traditional therapy. Like you go through a four-year or two-year program to get your license. Okay. The reason why I opted not to get that is because there's actually a lot of restriction on the way that you can work with clients from a licensed approach. And um, at at some point I may do that. Who knows where my career will go. But uh, not having a license gives me a lot of freedom to work with clients in the way that I want to work with them, which is like – yeah, using a lot of alternative therapy methods. Yeah. And how long have you been practicing now? Uh, three years. Three years, okay. Yeah. And uh, do you feel like from your first year to now, has there been a big learning gap or anything that you've really changed in the way you do your therapy? Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that span of time, the biggest thing that has shifted, I think at the beginning, I was – I was steering the sessions in a way that I thought that I knew the answer for my clients. Like I would guide them with questions or guide them with therapy into like what I thought was the best solution for them. And what's become very apparent to me in the last three years is that the client knows exactly what they need. Mm. Like they have the answers, they have all of the things inside of them. And it's not my job to steer that in the way that I think it should go. It's like I've taken so much of myself and my ego out of my practice and really learned how to focus on like actually what is occurring for the client right now. And like even if the direction of the therapy doesn't go in the way I think it does, it always ends up in the right place for them. Um, And it's such a more effective approach. It sometimes is a little slower to get to what the solution is, but in that process, they end up on the other side with the confidence of knowing that they did it Yeah. instead of being like, oh, wow, like you helped me so much. I'm so grateful to you. Like yeah. you did this you for me. Like empower them. Yes. To take that in their own hands. Totally. Okay. Yeah. And um, I was curious, like with your guided retreats and, um, you know, those group events you do, how did those work compared to like the singular meditate, like or the singular therapy sessions? I love a a retreat space because it's like there's so much time there's downtime to integrate in between the processes so like over the course if I have someone over the course of 
four days, there's time in that for them to do a really intense process and then come out of it and have my support in the integration of that live in real time with them. And when I'm working with someone one-on-one, like the process may be the same, but then they're going to go back to their normal life in between those sessions. And we have some contact through text or through messaging, but it's not the same as when I can have someone for four days straight. There's just like so much faster transformation that can happen in that space. Um, The other thing that I love about retreats versus just doing my one-off sessions is the community and the sisterhood that happens in those spaces. Like doing that work in tandem with other people who are doing that work creates also such a bond and such a closeness and an intimacy between people. And for me, like one of the biggest things I work on with my clients is shame. And shame is such a relational thing. Like I only feel shame because of what I think you're going to think about me. I only feel shame because I think I'm going to be exiled from the tribe because of something I may do or not do. And so in the space of community with this loving, accepting, all-encompassing care and compassion and non-judgment like that just evaporates Mm -hmm. so quickly like they can do that with me because I'm a space of that for them but in a group of other people going through the same thing it just dissolves so quickly and how often do you do these retreats usually just once a year okay it's a lot of energetic expenditure and I don't make money yeah really (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay yeah because uh funny enough right before this I had a um hypnotherapist mm-hmm. and we talked about hers and she's doing a group retreat uh and i might connect you guys because i feel like she could learn a lot from you from that but mm-hmm. she has the same goal as i think she thinks it's nice to have a community and mm-hmm. kind of build a community around yeah. this whole um process and allow people to see that they're not alone in it and everything mm-hmm. um but yeah she is telling me it's a very stressful thing to do to get it set up and have people together and everything mm-hmm. so it makes sense uh why you would uh basically want to do this once a year mm-hmm. um so when you first initially kind of got into this whole process like that shame you talked about mm-hmm. did you you know considering you had a really rough you know introduction to sex and going through all that how long did it take to get over that shame and kind of fight through that mm-hmm. or like when was it that you kind of felt like empowered or kind of taking that into your own hands So I dealt with a lot of slut shaming through high school. That was my biggest bit of shame. Yeah. But shame for me isn't, wasn't really a huge part of my sexual journey. Um, Most of what I dealt with was a lot of internalized good girl, people pleasing, Um, energetics where like I would perform, I would do all the things that my partner wanted to do. And sex was this very like other focused activity where it was just like, it wasn't for me and I had no, I received no pleasure. So I didn't have a lot of shame in that. I had a lot of resentment though, that would come up for my partners. And that took, I would say from the time I was 13 to 20 six wow yeah and then was there a point that you reached where you were just like this is the last straw or something that kind of changed it or did you see yeah. something what yeah. was that um my kink awakening okay really shifted that for me okay um so my journey with bdsm um i was in a 
two and a half year relationship um, in my early 20s. And it was like the sex at the beginning was great. And then it slowly got to a place where it became boring and a chore. And I became resentful in that and also terrified. Like I didn't want to like he would encourage me to explore my sexuality and like be sexy and like feel what that feels like because he was a very sexually expressed person. And I was so ashamed, I guess, mm -hmm. of touching that part of myself. Yeah. So I guess shame was a part of that. Yeah. Um, but also very fearful okay. of like what might happen if I became more sexual like who would I become yeah like, what's gonna happen well, it was probably that slut shaming from high school and all that mm -hmm. stuff kind of locked into your head too that yeah proved something and or... also the abuse yeah like when I was sexual or expressed myself in that way I got a lot of attention that I didn't want yeah in that um I was also I was molested in in high school by one of my teachers okay. also so like that I think played a really huge role in my fearfulness of wow. my sexual expression um so I forgot the question no I mean you answered it but <laughs> my other thing that I I realized recently was that you know a lot of girls in high school that I think about now that developed early or mm -hmm. you know matured earlier um I think they went through a much harder time in high school because I think when you go through that, you're sexualized immediately. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, whether you like develop breasts early or anything like that, mm -hmm. you kind of are expected to be a certain way or act a certain way. Yeah. And if you do act that way, then you're a slut. But mm -hmm. if you don't act that way, then you're a prude. So mm -hmm. it's like a win-lose or it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah. And it also really like stunts your development because it kind of makes you grow up in a society thinking this is how you're meant to be like portrayed <clears throat> and it it is sad to think about because i you know firsthand remember people going through that experience <clears throat> but yeah um, oh yeah i remember you asked me what changed or what shifted in my development process yeah. so in that relationship um i we decided that we wanted to open our relationship we were like okay let's explore open because I wasn't meeting his sexual needs and I also was like okay maybe if I explore with other people that'll spark something in me and it was like the worst thing ever no yeah. don't ever open your relationship okay. to solve problems okay. because that doesn't it doesn't work um I we had an agreement that we wouldn't be in love with other people romantically it was just for sex and I immediately fell in love with the first person that I started oh, having sex with yeah. um and he was a dom and introduced me to BDSM um and that just blew my whole world open yeah. it was the first time that I had ever really felt safe yeah. in sex because there was so much negotiation and safe words and so much um, communication around the experience. Like I knew that I could get out whenever I wanted to. I knew that I would be honored in my no. Um, and it just allowed me to fully surrender and relax. And I was like, okay, like this is, this is it. The other thing that he gave to me, which I'm so appreciative of is this permission to be whatever I wanted to be he's like tell me your most disgusting horrible fantasies and like he would just cheer for me in that and be so excited to hear like what is the worst thing that you think you could possibly do sexually and like let's do it and it was so permission giving that's awesome yeah and yeah I think like even in the BDSM community people um 
don't understand how respectful the community actually is and how much communication is important. I yeah. think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it can look scary and like, you know, that's me included. Like it, originally you look at it, you're like, wow, that's like intense. But the amount of like respect and uh, attention to like the other person's needs and everything are really put into high value. And mm-hmm. like, you know, it's probably more respectful than most generic 100%. relationships and people don't realize that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess for listeners that are possibly feeling scared to explore their sexuality or have like certain reservations about it, or maybe you're experiencing it in their relationship right now, do you have any kind of like um, advice or anything from your perspective on how to approach that or how to find that in them? Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime someone's experiencing fear, like, there's two parts to that. There's the somatic experience of fear, which is the sensations that are happening in their body in the moment that they're feeling fear. And then there's the stories mentally that are associated with that fear stories. Like, um, maybe like usually something along the lines of I'm bad, I'm wrong. I'm too much. I'm not enough. I'm broken. Um, and so I, the approach that I take is always like body first because story follows state Mm -hmm. the story that's in your head is following your physical state right so addressing that physiology first through some kind of grounding work so whether it's different for every person depending on where they go in that fear state um do they freeze in which case they need some kind of really gentle movement and some breathing and just like waking the body up from a freeze state if they are in like high anxiety or fight maybe they need to go for a run or they need to like shake and express the energy in that way Um, or dance like or dance yeah. Yeah, yeah I dance a lot yeah. dancing's like my favorite grounding activity yeah so just like literally going outside yeah like changes just taking the sun in your physiology yeah. okay immediately um so like first just addressing actually what's going on in their in their body yeah um and then the next step forward is like once you're mostly grounded I say mostly because if someone's experiencing a lot of fear mm-hmm that may not fully go away, but just at least getting to a place where you're like 70% relaxed. Um, and then initiating a conversation about it with whoever you want to explore with in a loving way. Cool. And, uh, what are some common misconceptions people have about your profession or (laughs) common things you probably want to address or let people know? Cause I, I think, you know, sex in general is very much, misunderstood in general Mm -hmm. so i can imagine your profession can be that way too yeah Um, so are there any common things you come across that people misjudge or misappropriate with your profession 100 percent. i don't have sex with people for money yeah (laughs) i want that to be really clear yeah like um i totally respect sex workers i think it's an incredible profession and i wish that it was legal um, because I think the legalization of sex work would really support our society in a lot of ways, Um, support everyone that is feeling shame about sexuality. Sex work is great. That is not what I do. Um, My work is also mostly emotion focused. Um, A lot of people come in thinking like I'm going to teach them how to squirt or I'm going to teach them anal tips, which yeah, I do sometimes, but most of the time what's happening, like there's, there's a symptom of like a lack of sexuality or an over-sexuality or like something they feel is wrong that's showing up in their sex. Yeah. But 
at the core, there's always some kind of deeper emotional wounding, which is in relationship to a parent or a first love or some some break in sense of self, yeah. um, some rupture or boundary compromise that happened early in life that actually is the stem of all of these issues. Yeah. So a lot of what I do is less about sex and more about processing grief and rage and disillusionment yeah. and sadness. Yeah, I mean sex is like working out or anything else it's like if your mind is in another place you're not going to get the most out of the process or action or something and mm -hmm. so you're basically there to kind of unlock that and give them their full potential in it yeah um yeah but that's good that you covered that um <laughs> what other um i guess questions do you feel you get a lot about your your profession in general like before people even come to see you is there anything that you have to kind of clear up or like when you first get clients how do you kind of start the sessions off with do you have like a systemized process of how you do this stuff or do you, is it dependent on the client and what they're going through yeah so i have an intake form that i have everybody take i also always do like a free call with people to assess where they're at and what they're wanting yeah. and if I actually am a good fit for them. I refer out a lot yeah. um, because a lot of people, like I said, will come to me for sex issues and then there's other stuff that they need to address first with another therapist or one of my friends who's also in the field. Um, and so there's always like an assessment process that I do with them first and an intake form. And then the process is really unique for every client. Like it's hard to say exactly like how every session goes, but usually it's some kind of like, okay, sit down. What's present for you right now? Is there anything that has changed since our last session? Um, and if there is some really big pressing issue, we address that. Or if not, then we do work on whatever that core issue was that they came to see me originally. So it's like, dealing with what's present right now. And then if they're like, Oh yeah, I don't think there's, there's anything here for me today. I'm like, okay, great. Let's like just feel into your body and start to do some navigation of what's going on inside of you. Let's find where tightness is or where there's clenching or holding or your body's in a defense pattern and work into that. Yeah. And do you work with couples very often or how does not your... often? I have a couple couples that I work with, yeah. but it's mostly women okay. individually. Okay. Yeah. And your men, like basis how like do you have any male clients or i no? don't really okay. i don't no and is that just a like a choice you made or is it just there's more women that are looking for this type of therapy or open to it i think there's two reasons for that one is because most of my marketing is geared towards women okay um and most of the storytelling that i do is about my experience which i have an understanding of the female body's experience right. in sex more thoroughly than men's yeah um, and I think that generally women are more open yeah. to therapy. Like there's a reason why a suicide rate for men is significantly higher than for women. I yeah. think there's less stigma for women around getting help. Yeah. Um, and for men, I think there's just a lot more challenge to overcome yeah. to reach out to someone and ask for support, especially around issues of sex. Yeah. I mean, like, that goes back to the shame thing. I think men feel shame 
in that regard mm-hmm. because they feel like there's something wrong with them as a man or totally you know like it's one thing to already feel emasculated seeing a regular therapist so i can't imagine a guy thinking that he needs to get help for sex or something you know yeah um so yeah that is unfortunate but mm-hmm. um do you have any recommendations for people who are thinking about doing it like uh do you have a like a what would you say like a a resource that you would recommend people look into let's say if there's listeners that don't live in austin and can't see you do you mm-hmm. have a good resource that they can look into or how to find it because i'm sure it's not as easy as just googling a sex therapist right so, yeah. uh, what would you recommend for people like yeah that? well i also i do a lot of work online okay um so if someone wanted to work directly with me i work really well over zoom okay sessions um i also have a membership option that's like way more accessible mm-hmm. Okay. For people, if they're not able to afford therapy or like bigger sessions that are individual, mm-hmm. and like I said, community support is also amazing in this space. Yeah. Um, also, there's a lot that people can learn from books. Yeah. Like there are really, really great books out there about sexuality that are super supportive. What would be your top three books you'd recommend? Um, Come As You Are by okay. Emily Nagoski. Um, Could you spell that just to make sure? (laughs) I think it's N-A-G-O-S-K-I. Okay. Um, That's that book is incredible. It's also very science heavy. Okay. Um, So if you're looking for and and it's geared towards women. Okay. Um, So if you're a woman that's looking for a book about your anatomy and understanding that like however you are sexually is actually totally okay Mm -hmm. um that book does a really great job of explaining orgasm explaining arousal um very thorough okay um my other favorite ones i love urban tantra okay um that book is like some kind of mixture of BDSM and Tantra, and it's a great intro book for people that have a pretty good baseline and want to explore more deeply. Okay. And then for all of my heady people, like Existential Kink is one of my favorite books that I've ever read in my entire life. And it's not even necessarily about kink or sex. It's more about shame and transmuting shame and um, breaking free of negative feelings and patterns inside of you and has really, really great tools and meditations and visualizations in the book that you can go through that are so powerful for for healing parts of disowned self cool yeah all right well you guys heard that um and besides that is there anything else you feel like we haven't covered in this anything you want to talk about or mention that you feel yeah i think one of the biggest questions i get in relationship to like couples and like where there's the biggest conflict and challenge that happens in sexual relationships is related to like desire discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Um, sex is one of the top six or seven reasons why people get divorced and why people end relationships. Yeah. And I don't think that most of those. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we can cut this far. Yeah. Thank you, bud. Protecting Appreciate you. it. Yeah. We're good. You're good. Thank you. You did a great job. Come here. Come on. Okay. <laughs> now he's in front of the camera. Yeah. Great. Thank you. It's close. Um. Okay. So I was talking about how conflict shows up in okay. sexuality and how 
there are, there's like sex is a reason why a lot of people end relationships and most conflict, 70% of conflict in relationships in general is unresolvable. Okay. And the same is true about sex, like in sexual conflict, when there is a difference in desire, a difference in turn on, um, a difference in desired frequency, like those things are issues that will pretty much always be issues in your sexual relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that they're unresolvable. I actually think that points of conflict or differences in two sexual beings is a source of potential collaboration and creativity. It's like it is what makes every sexual relationship so rich and different right. and allows for so much opportunity and variety to have creativity in sexual expression. And the way to come at that is to understand that probably whatever your partner, whatever you're experiencing, whatever feelings you're experiencing related to sex in, in the conflict is probably almost exactly what your partner is experiencing on the other side, just like the other side of that coin. And so the way around it is just to communicate it, kind of yeah. get it out there and talk about Firstly, it's to understand that that person that's over there is not your enemy. Yeah. Like they're your teammate. Yeah. And it's not like when you can go from it's you versus me to it's us versus this issue. Yeah. Like that's when magic can happen in that space is like being like, oh, I'm curious and compassionate about what it is that you're experiencing on the other side of this conflict. Can you explain more? Can you share more about what this means to you? Can you go deeper and tell me in detail what your experience is like so I can come to a place of understanding like what was your sexual upbringing like what were the things that you learned about sex really going into how this person in front of you came to their decisions and preferences and feelings and challenges with sex and then you can have an opportunity to share yours too and that's where understanding and compassion can happen and that's also where that collaboration can start to spring from okay and i was curious like do you feel like sexual chemistry is a thing or do you feel like people can't connect in that regard it's more just like you said it's in your head like i think a lot of people like i've i've heard that a lot where it's like yeah like we vibed in person really well but the sexual chemistry wasn't there or vice versa you mm -hmm. know the sexual chemistry is great but we just didn't vibe in person and so yeah how do you address those issues with people <laughs> well i think it's interesting because like so many people have this experience where like the hottest sex you have is with the person that like sucks the most. Yeah, the most to <laughs> toxic relationship you've been in. A hundred percent. Yeah, so do you feel like that is something that's very common? hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think it's really common to okay. have like this kind of really intense, passionate sexual connection with someone who is actually a terrible person for you. Yeah. In like a relationship. A or somebody that's horrible. Absolutely. Not that I would know. Right? <laughs> Not that I would know or anything also. Um, that's another conversation. Um, and the reason for that is because – have you ever read any of Esther Perel's work? I haven't, no. But okay. I mean, I've seen excerpts everywhere. Yeah. yeah I highly, fun. highly recommend her book, Mating in Captivity. Okay. Um, because she talks about – her main research is focused around the um, that idea – also that like what happens is like having a lot of passion and intimacy at the beginning of a relationship. And then as more connection and closeness and uh, emotional intimacy develops, the sexual chemistry reduces or goes away entirely. 
And the reason for that is because the highest amount of desire and arousal that we feel is typically related to a little bit of uncertainty and danger. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It fires something off in our brain yeah. that sparks adrenaline and like curiosity, excitement. Yeah. Like when you meet a new person, you're there's so much unknowns. There's like, will this person murder me? Yeah. Like, will this person um, love me? Will this person abandon me? Like yeah. there's like all of these little hits of adrenaline that flood our system with some good feeling. Yeah. Um, and excitement. And then the more that we know someone, the less that exists. Um, so as far as sexual chemistry goes, like if you can create with someone that is safe containers of uncertainty or risk or danger or newness, because we also like variety and curiosity and exploration, you can have a relation, a sexually fulfilling relationship with someone who at first glance may not be your sexual type, but you can create the conditions and the context for that relationship to be okay. exciting and arousing for an infinite amount. So of it's time. not like a break it thing. Cause I, yeah, there are people that are always like fearful that are like, Oh, the sexual chemistry is not there. So this is not going to work out, mm -hmm. but it is, you can work through that. You just have to, like you said, explore those like, you know, adventurous things and traits that you can uncover from each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, that's good to know. And then in terms of um, the, yeah, the safety thing is very interesting because there are, you know, I think as you're with somebody over time, that's where the kinks and all this other stuff comes into play where you can start mm -hmm. communicating different ways to interact with each other and whatnot. So yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, and usually yeah. like that kind of, I am at this point in my life, very wary of when I have that kind of instant passion and yeah. desire. That's like, not necessarily ugh. always good. It's not a good thing. Right? It's yeah. actually a stress response. Okay. Like that, those feelings, like that lust or the lust, craziness. it's a hyper arousal yeah. in your body. Like yeah. you're actually not grounded. Yeah. Cause I read also like, you know, when you get butterflies in your stomach, when you meet them all the time, it's like, that's not always necessarily good because yeah. also is anxiety built up. It, exactly. And, uh, yeah. That's interesting. Cause we romanticize that stuff so much. And totally. And, oh my yeah. God. So much of the way that sex and love is portrayed in media is extremely toxic. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the dentist, I completely. <laughs> Completely no, because yeah. dentists are portrayed as the worst people. On oh, no. But yeah, I mean, it's true. I think, unfortunately, media is probably the worst thing to get your lessons from in terms of like TV and TV shows and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because that's usually the main source of information. People kind of get their first uh, impression of something, whether yeah. it's sex or whether it's um, intimacy and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Even just like r romantic movies, I think are so bad in a certain They're way. So bad. They present such a falsified idea of like, oh, you really want her? Go chase her down the airport. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, that's like insane. That's like, toxic. please don't do that. Yeah, like, <laughs> show up to her place like unannounced, like you know, yeah. at midnight when it's like a stalker. Yeah, like at her family home or something. Yeah. It's like, no, don't do that. So yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the concepts that. Uh, Dr. Emily talks about in Come As You Are is this idea that... By the way, is it C-O-M-E or C-U-M? It's C-O-M-E. Okay, because that's yeah. been a good pun. Yeah. Could have totally it's still that. a pun. Yeah, yeah, okay. There's like the cover looks like a pussy, gotcha. so... okay. They, they nailed it <laughs> Yeah. Then. All right. Yeah. And so in that book, what did she say? Um, so she talks about this idea that our sexuality is like a garden. And for the first 
several years of our life, people are just planting shit in our garden that we actually have no say in. So yeah. like media is one of the things that plants seeds in our garden. Religion is one of the other things that plants seeds in our garden. Our parents, yeah. our role models, our first relationships, all of these people are taking care of and tending to this sexual garden that we have not yet understood for ourselves yeah. that it's our responsibility to care for. And so then by the time we're, we hit puberty or we leave for college, like we have this whole mess to, to figure out and take care of. Yeah. And it may be overgrown with weeds. It may be totally barren. It may have been ravaged or um, plundered or hurt in some way. And we t take it on as our responsibility then to, pick out the weeds to start to tend to it with loving care. And that is a lot of fucking work. Yeah. And most people don't know how to even begin that work. And so they just live the rest of their lives with this garden that someone else has created Yeah, and just deal with that. And I guess in your job is to basically go in that garden and just basically clean it out. Or mm -hmm. do you kind of go to each different section and focus on it and, maybe not clean it out, but reassess what they see it as? Is that yeah. kind of like your approach to it? Yeah, it's less about um, cleaning, I think, and more about understanding that like, uh, we'll keep with the garden metaphor. So for example, like maybe someone planted this um, really dangerous weed in the garden that is growing and suffocating all the other plants. Mm -hmm. um, and it's doing that as an adaptation it's trying to survive it's trying to grow it's trying to take up space and the more you ignore it or like pretend it's not there it just continues to grow and grow and grow right so rather than going in and yanking that out um, because it has become a part of the ecosystem what i recommend in the way that my methods are like going in and tending to it and actually noticing like is there something inside of there that's useful and supportive for the garden is it maybe doing something that nourishes another part of the garden is the wall that it's built intended to keep the garden safe and maybe it's not doing its job correctly so how do we just support it and nourish it so that it can grow in the way that healthy. it's intended into something healthy yeah okay. cool yeah that's good to know well um i think we're let's see how far we're into this um yeah we're almost at an hour but <laughs> oh, God, that yeah, flew. <laughs> i just wanted to make sure we kind of covered i do want to do another interview at some point and you mm -hmm. know kind of cover any questions people might have yeah um but yeah i was curious do you have any questions or anything on your end that you wanted to address i know you mentioned that earlier which is great but anything I might have missed. I think this is all so new to me too. So there's mm -hmm. also degrees where I don't even know what to ask because I feel mm -hmm. like I would like to like have a session at some point with you and yeah. like get a firsthand perspective because mm -hmm. I did the hypnotherapy one and that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think like, you know, you're right. I think, you know, growing up in a religious foundation and in a certain culture, like, you know, even in my culture, sex is not talked about like yeah. i've never talked about that with my parents at all mm -hmm. it's nothing not something you discuss with anyone in your family mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate because i think it's such a significant portion of your life mm -hmm. uh, and it plays such a significant role in your relationships and um it can be very detrimental to like somebody's personal growth uh, and i think our society is getting better at it mm -hmm. but we're still not even like near where we need to be as humans with it. Um, and yeah. it's also like a safety thing. I think, you know, the more you're educated on it, the more responsible you can be and the better you can be not only mentally, but physically about it. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, I, I appreciate that you do this and the stuff you share online. Um, so just to kind of cap it off, I want to have you share your personal information that you mm -hmm. want people to follow you at and how people can reach you if they want to talk to you about this stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, any other additional questions? Uh, I'll let Hannah kind of give you guys her information. Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Instagram. You can find me at Hannah Deindorfer. Um, I'm sure you'll spell yeah, that. Yeah, I'll put it in the <laughs> bio and I'll share her info. Cool. Yeah. I'm really hoping to uh, change that last yeah. name eventually. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a doozy. Is it's it a German? doozy. It's German as fuck. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and you can also find me on TikTok at I am Hannah the Red. Okay. Um, but if you want to reach out to me, like I love fielding questions from people that are curious about yeah. anything. Um, I usually do a once a week anonymous Q&A. So if you don't want to message me directly like you can always put a question in that in that box um and yeah i just i love what i do i'm enthused by people that are curious yeah. um or have questions and it brings me a lot of life and joy to answer those so if you're struggling with something please don't hesitate to reach out like you're not a burden it's not a burden on my time like it really is yeah. life-giving to yeah, me she's so awesome, please guys yeah, speaking from experience, it's fun to talk to her and like see all the stuff she shares. And, you know, it's just very enlightening stuff. So uh, please follow her. The information will be in the bio. And if you follow my Instagram, you'll also see me share her on there a couple of times. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Brianna, for being on here. Uh, it's a pleasure having you. And uh, we'll have you on here again soon. Definitely. Maybe we can dive further into this. We'd love to. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. Take care.